today we're finishing up the ABCs of relationships. And uh, let's just go ahead and agree that there are going to be parts of this that you're not going to like. And, and, and I know, I know it's Mother's Day. I can't believe, I can't believe that I'm talking about some of the stuff I'm going to talk about on Mother's Day. And you're like, really? In fact, I, I think somebody in my family actually said, really, Mother's Day? This passage on Mother's Day, really? And I'm, I'm like, see, here's the way it works. I, I plan these series out like 18 months in advance and, and, or, or longer sometimes. And, and I have them down and, and I put them on paper. I didn't know that Mother's Day was May the whatever today is, 8th. I didn't know that. I, it was just part of the schedule. And, and it just so happened it was divinely ordained, this is of God, that I would speak on this out of this passage, and I didn't pick this passage for this day. I want you to know that. I was, we started in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. We just kind of rolled with it all the way through, and last week we ended up in verse 18. We're going to pick up verse 18 right now, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 6, verse 4. And again, I know that there are going to be some parts of this that are going to be challenging. They're challenging for you. They're going to be challenging for me. <laughs> but we're going to walk through this together, and when it's all said and done... When it's all said and done, you will know what God expects. You might not like it, but you'll know what He expects. All right, so let's uh, let's let's begin this journey. And um, uh, the the big picture of this passage, uh, uh, Ephesians five, and we'll start in verse eighteen. We'll go all the way to chapter six, verse four. The big picture here is that God establishes specific roles for us in our relationships to move our relationships toward health and life. There are roles that we have in our relationships. Now, some of those roles um, that we're not going to look at today, we're not going to look at roles that I have with my friends or uh, roles that I have in work. I mean, those are relationships. I have certain roles and responsibilities in those relationships. We're not going to look at those because the text specifically talks about within the home. And so we're going to we're going to uh, kind of focus in on that. You can go to the blog this week, and maybe I'll deal with some of the other roles uh, uh, that, uh, that we need to look at. But, but today, we're just going to stick with the text, and the text speaks to us about our roles in our home, okay? So as we're looking at this, the very first thing that we come across, remember where we ended last week. We ended Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Verse 18 says, and don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, being filled with the Spirit means uh, and really identifies the role that we have in all of our relationships and the role that all of us have in our relationships. Okay? That is, we must be surrendered to the Spirit. This is the hallmark role that you have and that I have, if indeed you're a follower of Jesus. The key ingredient for healthy relationships, the key ingredient for joy-filled, life-giving relationships is first and foremost for me to be surrendered to the Spirit of God. The result of to be filled with the Spirit is not just that the Spirit of God resides within you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know that the Spirit of God is there. He's right with you. You are the temple of the Spirit of God, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 3.16, 6.16, <coughs> in both of those passages, um, you are 
uh, the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God resides within you. Ephesians 2 tells us that the Spirit of God has taken up His residence within us so that He might bring us into immediate intimacy with God. You are a follower of Jesus, and that means that you are, uh, you are the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God dwells within you. But what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? To be filled with the Spirit means that you let the Spirit of God dictate your life. You let the Spirit of God direct you. You let the Spirit of God speak to you, and you obey. You let the Spirit of God correct you, adjust your thinking and your living and your feeling. Feeling it, it, It's where the Spirit of God uh, opens up even the Word of God and the words of God to direct your steps, to show you how to live in relationships. Now, you're here today, and as I speak, you're going to think of a thousand different reasons, a thousand different scenarios about your own relationships. And you're going to be thinking, how can I adjust my life in this setting, in this relationship, the way the Bible tells me? Well, listen, you don't have to ask me because the Spirit of God dwells within you. You need to ask the Spirit of God to show you how to uh, align your life to fit His design and your role in every relationship you have. There is a way that God wants you to live in your relationships. The Spirit of God awakens us to see that. Now, what happens is the Spirit of God speaks in the Word of God. The Word of God is God's words. It's not just a good textbook for us to follow. Many times we look at the Bible and we're just trying to get some little morality to, to follow, some little, some little code of conduct to adjust our life to. Well, I've got to tell you, that's not what the Bible is. The Bible is not just some little textbook to give us instructions about certain things like geometry or history or geology. The Bible is living and acting Active. It is a life-giving instrument in the hands of the Spirit of God to speak to us and show us the very will of God, the way of God, the heart of God, so that we can live in the grip of God. And so if, if we're going to have life-giving relationships, then we need to surrender ourselves to the Spirit as He awakens us to the Word of God. So today, as the Spirit of God speaks to your heart about your role in relationships through the Word of God, you've got a choice. You can either say yes or you can say no. But it's on you. If you say yes, then you are saying, I want the life-giving healthy, satisfying relationships that my role, my, my adjustment to this role is going to give me. But if you say no, you say, I, you know, God, I, I think I got this. I'd rather do it my way. The only, amen, the only problem with doing it your way is it ends up catastrophic. Now, let me tell you something. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me and you're overhearing what God is saying to me. See, this isn't me telling you, I've got this all figured out, and you need to do what I say. No, I've got to tell you, surrendering to the Spirit of God, adjusting my life to feel what God wants, saying yes to the Spirit of God instead of saying no to the Spirit of God. Look, I've got to tell you, that's a journey for me every single day, even in my relationships. And so I, I can tell you firsthand, it is not about how you feel. It is not about what you want. It is not about how you think things ought to be. Listen, we live in a day of foggy, vague cultural identities and roles and relationships. We live in a day of, of chaotic definitions about, about roles and relationships and where everything seems to be shades of gray. God says, nope, 
It's black and white. You do what I say, you're going to be blessed. You don't do what I say, you're not going to be blessed. You do what I say, your relationships are going to be blessed. You don't do what I say, your relationships are not going to be blessed. Regardless of how you feel about it. Okay, so I'm getting ready to tell you some stuff that you're not going to like. I know that. Please, please understand, I don't want to tell you. That's not true. I do want to tell you. <clears throat> but I know you're not going to enjoy it, at, at some of you. All right, so as we look at this, surrendering to the Spirit, here's what results when we surrender to the Spirit. Um, after uh, verse 18, verse 19, 20, and 20, uh, verse 19, 20, and 21, he says, okay, so the result of us surrendering to the Spirit is that we start, uh, start experiencing joy and thankfulness in our hearts. We start experiencing, look, look at what he writes. He says, he says uh, uh, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always to him for all, uh, all things that he has done uh, uh, through Jesus Christ. So he's saying, he's saying, uh, he, he said, all right, so you surrender to the Lord. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to get into the gathering of God's people, and you're going to start experiencing joy. Listen, you get here, you get in this place, and you don't have joy. The problem is you. Not surrendering to the Spirit. I know that's hard to take, but that's what this scripture is saying. If you are filled with the Spirit, then you're going to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to Him for all that He has done. That's what's going to happen. And if you gather here with God's people, and that's not your attitude, and that's not your heart, the problem is not everybody around you. The problem is you. It's you. So you want to have joy in your relationships in the church? Stop blaming the church for your lack of joy. You want joy in your relationships in church? Then surrender yourself to the Spirit of God so that you might find joy. The result of surrendering to the Spirit is joy in our relationships and thanksgiving to God. But also a result is verse 21. Underline verse 21. This is key for every relationship. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submission is key. In our relationships, it is a fundamental key for us to experience life-giving relationships. Submission is not a word that we like, but it's one that we must embrace. So what Paul says here is he says, in your relationships, when you surrender to the Spirit of God, you're going to have joy in your relationships because your focus is going to be submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another. Let me tell you about submission, okay? Can I just paint a picture of submission to you submission is focused on giving not getting that's submission submission is where i am in relationship with people and because i fear god i want to please him my focus is how can i give not how can i get one of the reasons so many people are miserable in church is because God has designed the church in such a way that relationships are built upon the premise of submission. And being built on the premise of submission is God's designed this body of believers so that we would get together and we would focus ourselves individually on this one concept. I'm going to give, not I'm going to get. We become miserable because we're trying to turn the way God's designed the church on its head where we say the focus should be what I get. Not what I give. That's why we're miserable. 
Today, God wants us to understand that our role in every relationship that we have is to surrender to the Spirit. And what that's going to result in doing is making us a people who submit to one another. We focus on giving, not getting. Giving, not getting. Giving, not getting. Submission means that I am more concerned on how I can bless you than how I can get from you. That's submission. Submission is essential for healthy relationships. And we, are, we submit to one another not because we're trying to do some little, little political thing with people or try to make people think that we're all cool and dandy and fine and everything. We, the reason our motivation for submission to have this focus of give rather than get is the fear of God. The fear of God, that simply means that we want to make God uh, thrilled with us in our relationships. We want to have an overflow of, of thanksgiving to God that results in real, active, real life, real time stuff like submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. I want to give, not get. So the very first thing that you and I need to do before we do anything else in our relationships or in our home is we need to focus in, am I surrendered to the Spirit? Okay? Now let's get to the hard stuff. Y'all feel good? You feel good? Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Look at verse 22. Everybody underline verse 22. Don't mark it out. Underline it. Don't scratch over it. Underline it. You ready? I probably need some mighty men to surround me before I read this. Are you ready? Here's what it says, verse 22. Wives. You can tell Paul wasn't married, right? Wife. Wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church submits to Christ, so let the wives be subject or submit themselves to their own husbands in everything. So what's he saying? He's saying, well, in our our role in relationship, first is surrender to the Spirit. Second is, is wives be like Jesus in submission. Submission, I know, y'all are like, what? I can't believe we're living in the 21st century and he's talking about wives submitting to their husbands. What in the world? Hadn't he lost? What's he doing? Yeah, I thought he was a young, cool, hip kind of pastor. And here he is talking about wives submitting their husbands. I understand. I really do. We don't like that because we were raised in this concept that, that, that submission is some evil, wicked word. Can I tell you the only, the only reason submission is a wicked word is when we have pride in our heart that says we we just don't need to submit wives do you think you're better than jesus and jesus submitted you might say jesus submitted what do you mean jesus submitted well if you flipped over to first corinthians chapter 11 you would see that that, that Paul is talking about wives submitting to husbands again. And as he's talking about that, he says, okay, so here's the, here's the parallel. God, the Father, is head of Jesus, the Son, who is head of the church. 
There is a line of authority there. But here's what we know about God the Father and God the Son. God the Father and God the Son are equal in every way. God the Son is in no way inferior to God the Father. That God the Father and God the Son walk hand in hand on this glorious journey of bringing rescue and redemption and forgiveness of sin to humanity. Jesus the Son and God the Father walked hand in hand, but Jesus submitted himself to the Father. Out of an act of love, he submitted himself to the Father. Now remember what submission is. Submission is focusing on giving, not getting. Submission is focusing on giving, not getting. And so Jesus made it his lifestyle to submit to the Father. He wasn't, he wasn't inferior. He wasn't an inferior person. Uh, part of the Godhead. He, he was one with God. Now, what Paul does is in Ephesians 5 is he says, okay, now, husbands and wives, you are one. You are one flesh. The wife and the husband are equal. The wife is in no way inferior or subordinate to the husband. But rather, the wife is called to fulfill a role. And that role is to be like Jesus and focus on giving, not getting. Giving blessing, not getting rights. Giving blessing, not getting my way. And you might say, well, if I act like that, then that means my husband's going to get his way all the time. And we just can't let that happen. (laughs) Oh, honey, let me tell you something. It would never happen anyway. We do live in the real world. Can I tell you what submission is not? Submission is not you sitting there and taking orders from your husband and then just doing what he says. That's not submission. Submission is not, listen, submission is, oh, y'all getting excited. (laughs) Submission, preach it, Aaron, preach it, preach it, preach it. Go ahead. Submission Submission is not you leaving your brain at the door and just being a piece of puddle, a, a piece of, of uh, what's that stuff that we used to play? Play-doh in the hands of your man. That's, that's not submission. Submission, submission is not um, uh, you just, just acquiescing without any kind of opinion or idea. That's not Submission. Submission, let me paint the picture. Submission is this. Husband and wife, one flesh. The wife has been gifted in unique ways, in a special way, by the Spirit of God to deal and understand and have insight and inclinations that that the husband does not have. And we're walking hand in hand. And the husband has been gifted with wisdom and insight and unique inclinations that the wife does not have. And we are together and we're walking hand in hand. And the husband and wife have both been gifted with absolute ignorance in how to raise their teenage daughters. But we're walking through that ignorance hand in hand. Do I get an amen on that one? That's the truth. So together, husband and wife, we're not separate. I'm not over her in the way we imagine this idea of submission. But rather, we're walking hand in hand. And she, 
She is the one who gives insight where she is gifted. And I'm the one who gives insight where I'm gifted. But the Spirit speaks to us both. And we walk in unity together. And in those moments, in that time when our confusion is absolutely overwhelming and we are praying for the Spirit of God to give us direction and leadership and she's waiting for a word but God gives me a word and it's uncertain time and it's unstable terrain, then I take her hand and I lift her in my arms and I say, okay, we're going to go this way a little bit. And she says, okay, baby, let's go. And she says, put me down. Let me walk. Look, submission, submission is not weakness. Submission is not inferiority. Listen to this. Submission is, submission is a fearless act of ferocious love. Where the wife says to the man, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust God's work in your life. And I'm going to hold you accountable as I'm holding your hand. And we're going to walk through this together as man and wife. And we are going to be one flesh in this union. And we are going to be agreed. But I want you to know that when we're not agreed, I'm going to tell you how we're not agreed. And you're going to tell me, and we're going to share openly and honestly, and then I'm not going to force you to do my thing any more than you're going to force me to do your thing, but I'm going to follow the initiation of your loving leadership when we don't know what else to do. That's submission. Look, we have this idea that submission is me becoming an inferior person to another. Well, that's just silly. My wife is superior to me in most every way. But God has given her a role of acting with fearless and ferocious love so that she can give, not focused on getting. It's an amazing thing. That's the way Jesus did. All right, so hopefully that helped you a little bit. It did not solve all your problems, I know. All right, so wives, I'm just going to read it again. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands. I could have read 1 Peter where it says, wives, obey your husbands, but I thought that was just a little too aggressive. All right, that's a different sermon. So wives, be like Jesus in submission. Then, Then secondly, we see, or thirdly, we see that the role of the husbands is to be like Jesus in love. And look at verse 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish. All right, so he says, husbands, love your wives. The model or the example that we're to follow the way Jesus loved the church. And what did Jesus, how did Jesus love the church? Well, he loved the church so that he would sanctify, he gave himself for the church, that, that he might sanctify, sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of the water by the word, so that he might present 
the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that the church should be holy and without blemish. So he's talking about Jesus and the church. What did Jesus do? He gave himself up for the church. Then he walked alongside the church, and he continues to walk alongside the church to help the church be who the church is called to be. Look at verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that husbands are called to lead in love. And not just any kind of love. The kind of love that he sets up for us to follow is a love that says, I will die for you. Give, not get. It's this kind of love that says, I'm going to sacrifice in order to bless you. It's this love that says, I'm going to pay some prices in order to bless you. It's this love that says, I'm going to lead, but when I lead, you're going to know that God is leading through me because it is love that only God can ordain in me. It's a love that is, is, uh, is powerful and attractive and poignant and a love that invites your wife to give rather than get because that's how you're living your life. You see, what begins to happen is the husband's loving like Jesus and the wife is submitting like Jesus, so they're both both walking hand in hand as one flesh, one mind, one heart, one goal, one aim, and that is the glory of God and the good of each other, and they are living that way every single day. They're not in battle with each other. They're not combating each other. They're not in competition with each other. They are one together. God made Edie, my wife, to be a masterpiece. She is beautiful beyond measure. She is glorious and majestic in almost every way that I can imagine. She makes me shake and tremble. She's so beautiful inside and out. And God made me to be a masterpiece of a lesser sort. (laughs) A much lesser sort, but a masterpiece nonetheless. And when God joined us together as husband and wife, he didn't say, well, you're the masterpiece and you're not. He didn't say to the husband, well, you're really smart. And to the wife, you just need to go cook and clean. No, he said to the husband and to the wife, you are now both masterpieces, but united by my grace as one covenant masterpiece, one flesh union. So I'm supposed to love my wife the way Jesus loves the church. And that's not me sitting up on my easy chair with my glass eye. Sweet iced tea in one hand, my remote control in the other, barking out my orders, expecting my wife to serve me because she's supposed to submit. That's not what love is all about. Rather, love says that instead of me sitting on my easy chair, I get up off my easy chair, I go out to the garage, I get a bucket, I get a mop, I go into the kitchen, and I get to work. That's what leadership is supposed to look like. By the time I get home, there's going to be a bucket and mop in my kitchen. I guarantee you. We're supposed to model Jesus in love. We're not supposed to try to get our kicks by bossing people around. That's not our role as husbands. Our role is to take the lead in sacrificial love. So that when we're walking hand in hand, husband and wife together, my wife knows he's going to die for me if he has to. That's how we're supposed to live. That's the kind of marriage we're supposed to have. That's our roles. So the third role is husbands 
Be like Jesus in love. And then the fourth, I got to preach this one more time. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I, it gets better. At, at, for me personally, it's getting better every time I preach it. Y'all to come to 1230. All right. The, the fourth, the fourth um, role that we see it to, to the children. As you keep it simple. You look at chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents. Obey. Obey. Obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is the first commandment. Honor your father and mother. And it's been given with a promise that it may be well with you. And you and I are here today and we understand. Children should obey their parents in the Lord. Strengthened by the Lord. Uh, navigated by the Lord. We are to obey our parents as children. And it's right. And it carries with it the promise of benefit and blessing from a holy God. And you might say, well, you know, uh, Eric, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 40-something years old. I, I'm still supposed to obey my parents. Well, obey is the act. Honor is the attitude. And once you get to a certain age, obviously, you're, you're, you're beyond the act, but you never lose the attitude of honor. In fact, as, as the act of obedience di- diminishes, the, the, the attitude of honor grows. You know, I say, well, well I, mean, I mean, here, children obey your parents. Well, who are the children? Who are the children? Can I tell you? As long as I'm paying your bills, you're my child. You better obey. I'm not, I mean, you're living under my house. You're going to live by my rules. No, I'm just saying. You're not independent. You're dependent. A dependent. That means you're a child. You're still under my authority. That means you better obey. You better ask permission before you come home after curfew. You might say, well, I'm 18 years old. I'm 19 years old. I'm 20 years old. I'm 21 years old. I get to call my own shots. Well, you go ahead and get a job and then get your own house. And then you can start calling your own shots. I'm not being ugly. I'm not. We just need to understand. Children, obey your parents. If you can't live by the rules, then go ahead and make your own rules. But you better be adult before you start doing that. Adult means independent. We need to start living by the roles that God has given us. Life would be a lot easier. By the way, parents, why in the world are you letting your child make you obey them? Here we are. We got our children making our calendars for us. Our children telling us where we need to be and what time we need to be there. We have our children dictating for us what we ought to value and what we shouldn't value. My soul in sad exile, no wonder our world is upside down crazy. As parents, we're letting the children set the rules and we are obeying them. Stop it. Just stop it. I know it's painful. Please, understand, I have great daughters. I do. I have wonderful daughters. They are, they are some of the best that God has made. They are awesome. But they're... They still have to be told. Yeah, it comes a time you don't tell them in the same way. You know, 
But no still means no, even if you say it with a bunch of words. I do take delight sometimes. They'll tell you this. I, I, I say, they'll ask me, and I'll say, no. And, they'll, and I'll say, ask me again. And they'll ask me again. I'll say, no. I say, ask me again. And they'll ask me again. I'll say, no. I just like saying no sometimes. Now, look, children, obey your parents. It's, it's, it's simple. Stop trying to get your parents to obey you. That's sinful. Okay? And then the last role is, and it gets shorter as we go, but parents nourish your children. This is verse 4. It says, parents, stop provoking your children to wrath. Can I tell you, parents, how we provoke our children to wrath? We provoke our children to wrath when we don't set clear guidelines about how they ought to live their life. As our children. We, we provoke our children to wrath. We provoke our children to wrath when we're wishy-washy about what is expected and what, not, what is not expected. We provoke our children to wrath when we let them call the shots rather than we call the shots. <laughs> Thank you. I hope. I'm praying. We provoke our children to wrath when we try to manipulate them, coerce them, or control them. Parents, all of that is sinful behavior on our part. And the reason we do it, in my personal experience, this is not the Bible, this is Eric. The reason I do those things is because I'm a coward sometimes. I'm afraid my children are going to not like me as their daddy because I had to say no or I had to say no several times or I had to say no in a harsh way. Now, that scares me. I don't want my girls to think I'm an ogre most of the time. Unless it involves a boy, then I want them to think I'm an ogre. I want my girls to I want my girls to know that I love them. But I'm provoking them to wrath and I'm coercing them or trying to control them in unhealthy ways because I don't want to stand up and say, No, this is the way it's gotta be. And the reason it's gotta be this way is because this is what God expects. And this is what God has said in his word, and this is how we're gonna live in this house. Listen. It does nobody any good for us to pretend like what God says is irrelevant in our home. In fact, that is the opposite of leading our children to the point where they are nourished by God. Our job as parents is to nourish our children on Jesus Christ so that they grow more and more needful of Him, where, where they start, start uh, dieting on Jesus and then feasting on Jesus so that they might grow up in Jesus. We need to point them to Jesus so that they might see how Jesus is sweet to the soul and a Savior for their life. We need to lead them to Jesus Christ every single day. And as we lead them to Jesus every single day and as we point them to the goodness and the greatness and the grace of God, then there'll be a day where they meet Jesus. And when they meet Jesus, man, everything changes in their life. A whole transformation takes place. But we as parents have the job of leading them to that place and then leading them onward as they grow up in Jesus. It is not this church's job to raise your children and to nourish them. It is your job as a parent. It's my job as a parent. Stop depending on the church to do your job. Stop being lazy. It's time for us as parents, as 
fathers and mothers to step up, to man up, to woman up, and take ownership for what God has given us to do. And that is to nourish our children. Are you spending time with them and spending time in God's Word? Are you modeling for them a passion for Jesus? Stop expecting your kids to love Jesus when you show no fruit of loving Jesus in your own life. Can I tell you, we live here today and we spend a lot of time complaining about Jay-Z or Beyonce or Rihanna or Justin Bieberhead or whatever his name is. We spend a lot of time complaining about how they're corrupting our culture and corrupting our kids. Can I tell you that if you want to blame somebody for how our culture has gone on its head and gotten crazy, let's start pointing the finger at ourselves because we are the first line of offense and defense for our children. And if we're not raising them and nourishing them on Jesus Christ, no wonder they're turning their hearts towards something other than Jesus. It begins with us. This is the future. We need to nourish our children. So, happy Mother's Day. I know, crazy, isn't it? But, but here's the thing. The option is yours now. This is, it's yours now. I've done, I've done what I'm supposed to do. Now it's yours. And you're either going to say yes to what the Spirit says in His Word, or you're going to say no. If you say yes, then you are moving closer toward health in your home and in your relationships. But if you say no, there is no way you're going to have health and satisfaction in your home or in your relationships. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just being clear in your word about our roles and responsibilities. I pray right now that you would just that you would just speak to us. God, again, I pray that everyone knows that we're all in this journey together. None of us have arrived, and we're all struggling, and we're all trying to figure it out. We're all trying to do what your Spirit says. But God, as we all struggle together, let's all embrace this mandate that we would adjust our life to fit what the Spirit, what your Spirit says in your Word. God, take charge of this moment and lead us to say yes And help for us to reject any kind of no. And bring health and life to our relationships today. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.